Welcome to Jags Drive Time with John Osher, Osher. Ty Stevens, and Brian Sexton. Jags Drive Time starts right now. Good morning. Happy Tuesday to you. Welcome to TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville. Brian Sexton with you for the beginning of Jags Drive Time. So let's jump right into it. Ten days out from the draft. Let's get to big things. And number one has nothing to do with the draft. It's here we go, Jags. They're all back. The players, well, not all of them, but the players are back. All the teams are back into the offseason routine, which means that everybody, all 32, are now functioning and working towards the start of OTAs. The training camp in July, it starts right now in April. Big thing, too, is the countdown to Kansas City. As I mentioned, we are 10 days away from the NFL draft, and we'll have coverage throughout the week next week. I'll be in Kansas City, and of course, we'll have a huge Wednesday and Thursday for you and Friday and Saturday as we get you set for what the Jags are going to do, picking in the bottom third of the first round for the first time since 2018. And finally, big thing three is a big welcome to Kiani Stevens, who joins us as the new member of our broadcast team. And it's why we started the show, so we could unveil her officially right now to you. Thank you so much. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Obviously, this has been a couple weeks in the making um, since I knew I was going to come here and, and to come back when all the players are coming back today. Timing is good. It's good timing. Give, give everybody a little sense of your background. This is not your first foray into the NFL. Not my first foray. So I'm from New England originally. I covered the Patriots for quite some time, actually. Doug Peterson personally ruined the only Super Bowl I got to go to. So <laughs> I'll, uh, hopefully, now that we're on the same team, we can have success It'll work a when little it comes better that to way. the playoffs. Yes. Um, but I haven't covered the NFL for a couple of years, so I'm really excited to get back to it. Obviously, the Jaguars are in a great place right now. And from an outside perspective, you guys look like you have all the pieces put together. So it's exciting to see and now be a part of it. Well, speaking of all together, the guy to your left over there is you know generally has his stuff together on a Tuesday morning. He does. I don't know about that. Uh, John Osier, which I never got introduced, Brian. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> John Osier, hello. It's Kai's day, I understand. Yep. Uh, welcome, and I uh, look forward to this. Really do. So let's go back to the top of the show, and that is the players are back. And even though this is just them working out, it does also mean that they can meet with coaches. And for the last couple of months, you know, we've kind of gotten used to that, by the way. I remember the first year that the new collective bargaining agreement was in place and coaches couldn't talk to players in the offseason. I mean, they could say, hello, how's your family? But they couldn't talk about football. So as much as this is about the physical side of getting ready, there's also a mental side of it. Well, and I think this week, it's not a story that we'll hear much about. Uh, I think players are going to talk on Wednesday, so we'll hear a little bit about it. But it's not something we see, and we won't see them on the field. But this week, I think, is going to be very interesting for the players coming back because Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, uh, the receivers – We'll see for the first time what Press Taylor, Doug Peterson, the offensive coaches specifically I'm talking, they've gone back and they've gone over last season what they think worked, what didn't. I expect a much more streamlined offense. Uh, They have talked about trying to tailor things to what they do well. It's really hard to do that during the season in real time when it's going on. So I don't think the offense is going to change, but I think these players are going to see a – their first hint of how they're going to get to that second-year jump we're all talking about. I think they're going to be excited coming out of these meetings this week. I'm sure all of it interests you being here now day two, but the story that most folks are interested in is the addition of Calvin Ridley, this big receiver, which we haven't had around here since Jimmy Smith. 
2005, you've had this kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Receiver such a sexy position, too. I mean, everybody wants that guy. Finally, it seems the Jaguars have it. And you guys had such a great offense last year, just with the free agent signings, and now to have Kevin Ridley in the mix, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the guy, I think. With no disrespect intended towards anyone who was here, mm-hmm. he's the piece, John, that opens, unlocks a lot of other options, other scheme routes, combinations for Trevor Lawrence. Well, they improved so much last offseason. I'm getting questions this week about, well, how much better can they get? Mm-hmm. I think they're going to get better based on the continuity we discussed and based on the streamlining I talked about. And then as the season goes on, I think you'll see them get better and better in terms of how they're going to use Calvin Ridley. I think you'll see the first hints of that, or they will, in the meetings this week. But realistically, with Calvin, it's going to take, okay, getting on the field in OTAs, uh, seeing what he does well. And then even in the next season, I think you'll see for him a transition somewhat like um, we saw for the whole offense in the first eight games last year. I think it's going to take time for them to figure out exactly how – how he's going to help, but where he's definitely going to help from the immediate is taking pressure off Christian Kirk, taking pressure off uh, Isaiah Jones, guys like that. I think will be better just because of his presence. One thing that I don't think is a big story, Brian, is the absence of Evan Ingram. Uh, he's not here because he hasn't signed his his, his uh, franchise tag tender yet. Um, somebody tweeted a couple of days ago, and I thought it was really insightful. Players who don't come out. I get his representations tell him don't be there for uh, the offseason program. That is such a story that is forgotten the day that he gets signed. Uh, for a veteran like that, Ingram will be fine not showing up. I know he's got to do what he's got to do. Sure. It's a business I know season. Evan, deep down in his gut, though, can't wait to get here. I don't expect animosity on this thing once it plays out. No, he was a guy last year when he arrived, Kai, that – was so grateful to find a place where he felt like he fit, right? A kid from Atlanta that went to Mm -hmm. Ole Miss that ends up in New York, and, of course, the great scrutiny in New York. He could just be himself here, and, of course, himself last year was the best year of his career. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really all that concerned about it. And we didn't we find out last year when Doug was really downplaying the offseason program. Remember, he canceled minicamp in June, Mm -hmm. just had a couple of days with And immediately became my favorite coach. 100%. Let me change subject just slightly. The draft. Jaguars are picking in the bottom third of the draft for the first time since 2018. So the question is, how interested in it have you been? Right? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. This is a year where it where feels like. Start? Well, first of all, the Jaguars finally go into the end of January. So now February immediately picks up with the new calendar year getting ready and free agency and the Jaguars cleaning things up with their cap. So here we are all of a sudden on the draft. It's like, oh, yeah, the draft is here. I think it'll be very interesting. I don't mean to uh, cut you off, guy. I, I think it'll be very interesting once they pick the players. And uh, what I mean by that is, to me, frankly, it's not very interesting leading up to it because it's so much darts at a board that you can analyze 15 different players and really it may not be one of those players. So it's interesting for me to try to figure out positionally what they might do. Uh, I think there's one of uh, four positions they might go with, cornerback, uh, uh, tight end, offensive line, defensive line. Well, now you're talking about that's a good chunk of the position groups that exist. So, again, it's a, it's a darts at a board thing. I think once they do it, the player will become very interesting. The pre-draft lead-up, which, you know, I've become less interested over time just because <laughs> the players, once they get here, become very interesting, but it's so hard to predict. Uh, 
but when you're picking 24, it's darts at a board until it happens. You know, one of the things that happened during COVID, and it started happening before that, you didn't get as many players going to the side of the draft. All of right. a sudden, they were having their own draft parties. Mm-hmm. There's only 17 guys who are going to be in Kansas City. I mean, that's a really small number because most guys are at home. They're with their agents. That's what this has become. This has become their own show. Well, you guys are in a fortunate position now because the team is not getting lottery picks anymore, right? The team is good. So these are bread and butter guys that you'll build, but these aren't necessarily immediate impact players, right, when we're drafting at 24 and looking at the second round. So I feel like it's going to be interesting to see how Trent Baalke kind of works these players in. It's a little bit of a different position than they've been in in a while. Um, And you can get a lot of quality there, but it's a little bit different. than compared to drafting a Trevor Lawrence or, you know, something like that. Well, she hit on something that's very important to realize. Top 10 picks and late first-round picks are not created equal in terms of uh, expecting them to be absolute can't-miss of the immediate impact. I, I think all first-round picks, uh, the expectation should be tempered until, until year two. We don't do that anymore. I just look at Trevor Lawrence – as a rookie, much different player in his second year, takes time in this league to develop, especially in the bottom fourth of the, of the first round. All right, that'll do it for big things. When we come back, we'll conclude our three-week series looking at key positional groups that the Jaguars could address in the draft. We've already covered the defensive backs and the offensive line. When we come back, we'll tackle tight ends here on Jags Drive Time. And welcome back. Brian Sexton and John Osier with you now as we continue looking at the 2024 NFL Draft, which is 10 days from now in Kansas City. And, of course, live coverage from here and there to walk you through the Jaguars as they add selections over the course of three days. Let's take a look at the tight end group. And right out of the gate, John, this is as good a tight end group as I think we've seen, as I can remember, in 30 years of covering the NFL Draft. You've got two or three names here, guys who could be first-round picks. Guys like Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, Sam Laporta, even Luke Musgrave, the guy Mm -hmm. from Oregon State, is getting some mention at the bottom of the first round. This is a really rich group of tight ends. Yeah, I think you can make the argument that it's, it's the best tight end class ever. And when I say that, you know, it's kind of silly to say, well, it's the best class ever in the history of the NFL. Um except for the fact that the position has changed so much and become so important, that that the league is so different in how they utilize this position over the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it is, it's certainly the best class in recent memory, which means for the way you play football now, it, it's the best tight end class that's pertinent to how they play the game. Um, I wonder with the Jaguars um, – it's been a strange position over the years, and I've gotten emails for years about, well, why don't they have a tight end? Why haven't they been able to solve the tight end position? And it's always been a, a, a position where in the draft, it, it's sort of a no-man's-land position. And, and when I say that, teams want it, and then once they're on the clock to pick it in the first round, a lot of times they're like, well... I want to go find this other position that I value a little more. And if you think about it, the Jaguars did it in 19. Uh, Hawkinson, they, they were taking him. And then 
Josh and then Allen. Josh Allen, the pass rusher. Oh, well, we really need that. And you get the feeling that they did that a lot over the years, knowing they need a tight end, but you also need this over here too. So tight end sort of gets pushed. Well, and I can remember a conversation. And it might happen again this year. I remember a conversation with Tom Coughlin back in 2019 about tight ends. They had done a lot of work on that tight ends group. Love Hawkinson, too. And and the history of drafting tight ends in the first round. And in a lot of cases, you find that it takes – not unlike some other positions, time for these guys to make the transition into the NFL where they're asked to block, right? Where they're asked to actually help the offensive tackle with some of these speed rushers. And you look at Hawkinson, Detroit traded him to Minneapolis, right? right? To Minnesota. This was a a can't-miss kid. And And Noah Fant was traded, by the way, the other Iowa from that year, traded to Seattle. And, And he was finally emerging as a playmaker at tight end it takes time and that speaks to the difficulty of finding the spot and there's no way to know how these guys play out but I'm sure GMs are looking at it with this in mind um the best Kelsey Kittle um third and fifth round picks the, the kid from Oakland I mean I'm not Oakland you know what I'm talking about uh Waller um, Darren Waller yeah he's uh, now in New York right have not been the you know there have been guys who've been designated, this is the can't-miss first-round tight end. Those guys haven't always gone on to be the elite guys. Right. So it it speaks to how everybody always asks, well, why haven't the Jaguars been able to fix their tight end spot? And Evan Ingram you know, was a free agent. Uh, I think they've got it fixed with him. But it's a hard position to find, and I think when you're looking at the five tight ends or six tight ends, or there are people who think – Eight or nine could be picked in the first three rounds. Sure, um, it 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 will be a little bit of a I keep using the word uh, crapshoot. It'll be fascinating to me to see how these guys all play out because the ones that are picked in the first round, odds tell you that only one, two of those out of four are going to be big time players. It's, it's a hard position to find. So we were watching Michael Mayer there on the screen, and he's you know he's straight out of Central Casting as a tight end, right? Cincinnati kid who goes to Notre Dame, 6'4", 250, you know, great hands, can run all the routes, not necessarily the greatest athlete, though he's a very good athlete. Uh, he's the guy that most people look at and say, that's the first tight end off the board. However, the kid from Utah, Dalton Kincaid, is a dynamic athlete with elite ball skills who, you know, to be honest with you, put up huge numbers against USC in a big game last year, 16 catches and 234 yards. He's, you know, second only to Brock Bowers among receiving tight ends in college football last year. Then there's a kid at Iowa named Sam Laporta. And Laporta, by the way, Iowa has become tight end U. George Kittle, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. And this guy is the first of all those tight ends to lead Iowa in receptions and yardage in back-to-back years. Now, again, he's not the elite athlete, but they compare him in the way that he plays the game. Call him an elite competitor, a lot like George Kittle. Um, Darnell Washington, the big kid that we all saw playing in the Southeastern Conference at uh, the University of Georgia. Do I need to say anything? Look how big the guy Mm -hmm. is, right? 6'7", 265. Was a dynamic athlete in college. Doesn't necessarily project to that same suddenness in the NFL. But, I mean, you're looking for a guy at the markers, that third down guy, that red zone guy. That's that's a lot to like right there. Yeah, uh, more of a run blocker um, right now because of the size. Uh, Again, the hard part is it, it has become such a position where 
you know, look at the Jaguars last year. Manhurts was the run blocker, and Ingram was, uh, was much better at run blocking than, than they, I think they expected, and he developed there, but really a pass-blocking tight end. Uh, the the challenge is always uh, finding the guys who do both, and I've always thought for the last 10 or 15 years it's almost unfair to try to find the guy that can that can do both. You know, the, uh, the Kellen Winslow back in the day. Um, now you almost have to consider it two different positions. There's there's the run-blocking tight end, and then there's the pass-catching tight end. Remember uh, Shannon Sharp? Sure. Well, he was a wide receiver. That was it. Who happened to line up right next to the tackle a lot. Um, Dallas Clark, who I covered in Indianapolis, was, was much the same way. Dallas was an okay blocker. He'd get in your way, but he was an outstanding move tight end. Um, I personally think that this is going to be another year where the Jaguars look at in, in a different direction in the first round. Uh, to me, numbers-wise, it makes sense to wait second and third round for this position this year. Um, but I don't think there's any question, if you look at their numbers on this, on this team, uh, if I'm betting, I'm thinking they're going in the first two days on tight end. Well, and the numbers you speak of, there's only two tight ends who saw the field at all last right. year. And then Garrett Prince is the third who was on the practice squad. So you're talking about Evan Ingram. Who they like a lot, by the way. No, he's, so, I, late in the year, there yeah. were a lot of conversations about what his upside was. Yeah, but you've still, you are. Kid from Alabama, Birmingham. Evan Ingram. Uh, Luke Farrell. Luke Farrell and Prince. Um, and really the only accomplished one is Ingram. Right. So it, it it's hard to imagine you never know with the draft because if if things break, uh, then things happen differently in the, on those first three days. But I've just got to believe in the first three days they're going this position somewhere. There's a young man, the last name of Kraft, I forget whether it's Tyler or Tucker, at South Dakota State, who stayed even though Alabama was recruiting him out of the transfer portal and offering a big six-figure NIL deal. And he's, again, a six-foot five, 250-pound athlete. And Dallas Goddard. I mean, he, right. he's South Dakota State guy who's really good in the NFL. So he might be a guy available at the bottom of the second round. We'll wait and see. That's a look at the tight end position. When we come back, we go to the Ozone Mailbag for Ozone Snapshot here on Jags Drive Time on a Tuesday morning from Jacksonville. Whether you need air, electric, or plumbing service, Donovan is always a good call. They've been trusted by their customers for almost 40 years. Trust them to deliver fast, reliable air, electric, or plumbing service to your home. This broadcast is ozone friendly. The Ozone. All right, here we go. Look inside the Ozone mailbag. Get the type of emails that John is getting. And huh. we <laughs> some of them, right? Some of them could never be shown. Uh, RAF from Ponte Vedra Beach. Should I be concerned that Evan Ingram hasn't signed the franchise offer yet? No. Um, it's, first of all, they have until uh, July 15th for him to sign it, get a deal done, uh, the whole thing. There's no doubt in my mind he plays. Uh, I'm not privy to the conversations on, on, on what the agent wants, what the player wants. Um, I... I I believe they're trying to get a long-term deal done. Uh, I also believe they've still got to be smart on these things around here. Uh, so if, if you remember, Brian, 
Cam Robinson last year uh, was a franchise-tagged player who signed with the team in May. Yes. I mean, uh, signed his long-term deal in May. Uh, people get upset at these things because they see on 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 social media. Well, he's not showing up. He he's not going to be there for the off-season program. This is the machinations of an off-season where one side's trying to get a deal and the other side's trying to get a, a, a better deal. How about a little context? Yesterday, Jalen Hurts signed a deal that's going to pay him an average of $51 million a year, right? And so if you have a quarterback, you've got to start planning strategically. Mm-hmm. Now you, you can't just gratuitously throw the money out like this franchise has been able to do, let's be honest. For more than a decade, as much as Mr. Khan was willing to spend, they could spend, right? Right. They can't really do that right now because of that looming contract that's coming. Right. So for them, being smart about Evan Engram is in part being smart about Trevor Lawrence next right. year and perhaps a couple of other players that they want to get done to longer-term deals. And look, as much as you want Evan on a long-term deal, and I believe they want that to happen, uh, having him play on the tag, um, this is a player who had his best year last year. Having him play on the tag and have another uh, great year um, – would not be a a terribly dumb thing, um, although I don't think that's their goal. But if that's the way it would play out, there's nothing wrong with that. And the main reason I say that is this: um, there are some players who you would who, who you'd be concerned attitude-wise of, well, I'm not happy on the tag. Yeah, not him. Evan Ingram did this last year. He he played on a one-year deal, um, and there were questions about that asked early sort of hanging over the head never did you feel like it affected anything so I don't think they have anything to worry about in terms of what they'll get from him and how he's going to fit he's a fit here I haven't talked to him since he left right at the end of last season uh, so what's that two months three months but he's a total pro and one of those guys who's completely comfortable very happy here very happy with the coach and with the quarterback uh, I'm like John. I would expect something to get done. All right. Uh, Bill, Ponte Vedra Beach as well. The Jags have gone from being short of decent players at most positions to being a couple of impact players from being very good. Does this mean they should trade up in the first round, sacrificing depth for a difference maker? Yeah. It, it, these are so tough to answer because it, it trading up, trading back always depends on two things. You know, you don't do it till you're on the clock. Because you've got a list of players that you like who you might be willing to do that for, but you know you don't know if they're going to be there until pick 17 rolls around or 16 rolls around. And then uh, what's your relationship with that team? So could they do this? Sure. Uh, but I don't believe that their attitude toward doing this changes based on uh, their record last year. Or you hope not, because you don't want – to have the general manager and team saying, okay, we're all in on right now, so we're going to push our chips to the table to get a rookie who's going to push us over the top in 2023 at the expense of building this franchise for 23 through 33. So um, I don't think the attitude toward this changes based on their expectations for this year. I think Trent Baalke is a long-term general manager who looks at the big picture – if he's sitting there at uh, 24 and at pick 19, somebody comes up who, That's he, it. who he thinks is a – this is guy is going to help us a for a long time. A tackle or a corner, a key position. You're not going to do that for a tight end, I wouldn't think. Unless it's a player he thinks is special. 
But again, I don't think there's any more chance that he would do that this year than there was last year when he did it with Devin Lloyd. So I don't think the the question was because of their position, would they change that? I don't think so. No, I agree with you on that. Finally, JP from the Vortex. I don't know where that is. Can you please explain why you keep saying offensive line cornerback or tight end for our first pick? I think you've already done that. Because why not? I mean, it's. I think that's where value and position and whatever needs there happen to be. And you can say best available player all you want, and Trent Baalke's a big best available player guy. He proved it with uh, Chad Muma last year. But needs still factors a little bit into that. They're not going to take a quarterback in the first round, for example. Sure. So there's some level of need mixed in. It feels like that could be an area where they go. Uh, I haven't talked pass rusher as much, and this is what the question was sort of based on. I haven't talked pass rusher as much because my experience is pass rusher at 24 uh, can be a little tricky trying to get production out of that that first year. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Right. I've just discussed the other positions more because, to me, tight end, corner, and offensive line, uh, where you see the mocked players, sort of lines up there. Now, that being said, in recent weeks, you see more and more edge rushers mentioned around that area. Um, but how rush- much of that is simply that desire to, to have those players mentioned, right? I mean, we, we manufacture yeah. a lot of times where a guy belongs because we say, well, pass rush is really important or quarterback is really important. Well, that's all pre-draft is, is us manufacturing. 100%. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so you see guys, Will McDonald's a guy, yeah. right, from Iowa State, whose name all of a sudden has started creeping up the board. But at the same time, Tyree Wilson is climbing, the kid from Texas Tech. He's right there with Will Anderson, yep. depending on who you listen to. And then Nolan Smith is a really good player from Georgia, but who most people saw as a bottom half of the first-round yeah. player. All of a sudden, he's top 10. How much of that is smokescreens or manufacturing? Who knows? I, right. look at, I look at need and value, and I'm a best-available player guy. It just seems like this year... You could get an offensive tackle at 24. Mm-hmm. Anton Harrison's a guy who's getting mentioned in the first round. And a guy that I watched play a bit at Oklahoma who probably belongs there. Same thing, you can mention the cornerback from Mississippi State right. who belongs in that conversation. Right. So there will be players at those three positions. I'm just not sure that the pass rusher is going to be there at 24 because I think there's going to be a run on the position, yeah. and you're going to see a guy like Will McDonald go at 19. Yeah, there are people uh... – draft philosophers, uh, general managers, who shy away from pass rusher, offensive line, and defensive line at the end of the first round uh, because their theory is if if they were really first-round players, they usually get taken before 24 through 30. Right. Um, so how much of that is you know, sort of sitting around after the draft pontificating, saying this is why we did it, a little bit of that, but you hear that get, uh, I guess, mentioned a lot, that safer first-round picks are tight ends, running backs, uh, safeties, who can contribute for you there immediately. Uh, again, once you're on the clock, a lot of this theoretical talk we talk about goes out the window, and there's more of a, hey, this guy can help us. This is the best available player right now. I think that's the way that bulky will go at one of a few positions. All right, that'll do it for the Ozone Mailbag. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of Jags Drive Time from TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville.
Well, Magellan Transport was voted the coolest office space in Jacksonville, and you can join them and help them move the freight by applying online at MagellanLogistics.com. Help them move the freight, MagellanLogistics.com. All right, um, you mentioned players are chatting tomorrow. I think we're getting Calvin Ridley, the quarterback, obviously. Um, Leave for you. Yeah, I believe. For you, uh, so, league's yeah. leading tackler. Good to hear from him. And it'll be, yeah, I mean, I I spoke with Trevor briefly before the Jumbo Shrimp game a couple weeks back. Uh, beyond that, it'd be the first chance I think uh, people have had to talk extensively to these guys. Uh, first chance for the media to talk to Calvin Ridley. Um, so it'll be interesting. And then uh, on Doug Thursday, uh, the 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 uh, pre-draft luncheon, where I'm sure Trent Balky would tell us he's, who he's going to pick. I um looking forward to that. I always joke as we're walking up the stairs to that, thinking this is the biggest waste of time for a press conference because they're not going to tell you anything. Sure, it, they're going to send you in different directions. It it's good to see Doug. No, it's great. They're they're, they're and, Trent, and I know they look forward to seeing us. And they do share some thoughts on. Wait, did you say look forward to seeing us? Oh, no doubt. Uh they do share some thoughts on the overall you know draft, different groups and things like that, but. This is an entire exercise in saying as little as possible. Right. So, eh, figure it out. It's good to check in with the GM and the coach before the draft, and uh, good to have them tell us lots. After the draft, will be much more insightful. Uh, Huddle Up podcast tomorrow with Bucky Brooks. JP and Jeff with you for um, happy hour on Thursday. And that'll do it for Jags Drive Time. For Kai Stevens and John Ogier, I'm Brian Sexton. Have a great day, everybody.